Unscripted, unshackled, uncouth. What you're about to hear is for mature ears only. It's Miguel. Ricky. Yeah. Yeah. You're a dumbass. Have a wonderful day, okay? Bye-bye now. Holly. I finally got boobs and a butt back. And Scotty the body. Am I not as cool and good-looking as I think I am? The Miguel and Holly Uncensored Podcast. No, my tongue feels too big today. Only from Hot 101.5. Give me Kit Kat or give me death. Tampa Bay's new hit music. Miguel and Holly Uncensored, our daily podcast that we do. Hello. And I wanted to jump right into the topic today that um, we sort of spent some time uh, mulling over and trying to figure out how to um, approach it. And we're going to talk about it here in just a little bit. And it is about the controversy surrounding uh, J.K. Rowling from Harry Potter and her recent tweets and whatnot. Uh, but before we get to that, I wanted to, before we discuss that, go to who's living the life of a transgender person. And um, also a parent of a transgender person. Okay. And you can imagine that if you are a parent and one day your kid comes to you and they say, I don't think that who I am matches on who I am on the inside. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do from there? Right. So we have a Miguel and Holly fan member. Uh, do you want me to say your name or are we? Yeah, you-, you can say my name. Absolutely. Okay. Vanessa has been a long time Miguel and Holly fan member. Um, always has something really encouraging to say. And you are the mother of a trans kid. And I know that when people talk about these issues, they like to get the language correct. So please correct us if it's wrong, because even though I'm gay, people assume that because I'm gay, I know the language. And I'm like, mm. I'm still learning, too. Right. Um, yeah. So can you walk us through what your experience has been like? Yes, of course. Thanks for asking. And Miguel, thank you so much for what both you and Holly do on a daily, first and foremost. You all are so uplifting and what you do for the LGBT community is amazing so thank you from a mama um but yeah my experience of having a trans kid so dylan is 11 and we're very visible because visibility is super important um and representation is super important so i'm a proud advocate for the trans youth community dylan is 11 now and he came out when he was eight which is a young age, obviously, and it was a process. It was a process of learning language and breaking down barriers and understanding what it means to be transgender, because frankly, a few years ago, I had no idea what it meant to be trans. Mm -hmm. So So it was a process. It was a process of learning. Now, Vanessa, I'm going to ask the tough questions here because I want to get a full understanding, but the argument that I feel like I've seen before is, oh my gosh, they're eight years old coming to you like they don't even know what they want for breakfast or they don't know anything of what they want. How can they make a decision like that? What do you say to people that that say that? So a couple of things. So the first thing that I challenge people with when when they say that I'm really good at answering questions with questions these days because I push back. So us that are cisgender, which means non 
trans. Um, we knew our identities for as long as we could remember, right? Like right. for myself, I'm a cisgender female. I, for as long as I can remember, I knew I was a girl. It just inherently aligned with who I was. And right. it, it, it's different than people confuse being trans with just liking things outside of gender norms. But being transgender is an inherent knowing of self, just like being cisgender is. So a lot of our trans kids, they know themselves. They know, you know, they, they know what they like. They know what they don't like, and they know themselves. And for my son, he started with language from around age five. But I feel like a boy, Mama. I feel like a boy in my heart and in my mind. And I didn't know what he was saying. I was like, no, 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 you were confused. Mm-hmm. But when when I was the one that was confused, because he knew exactly how he felt and we don't give kids enough credit and, and society is a hell of a mute button Mm. for our trans kids because they're so pushed into societal norms. So I always challenge people when they say that Dylan's too young to know, I say, well, when did you know your gender? Mm -hmm. And we just have to think through those thoughts. You know, that's so true because I know that I've said that quite a few times about gay when mm-hmm. I've had so many people, and especially our uh, brothers over on 1025 The Bone, our sister station, whenever there's any sort of gay story, and they pull me over. And when we first started working here, they were, it was sort of like a new toy. They were like, mm-hmm. wait, so how did you know you were gay? Like, like, no. They're like, why didn't right. you, why don't you just try being with a woman? Yeah. And <laughs> once you try to explain it, I would say, well, how did you know you were straight? Did you one day exactly. all of a sudden just be like, I'm going to decide to be straight. Right. You just know when you know. Right. So that right. totally other, makes sense. And the other thing, too, is that people confuse gender identity and sexuality, right? Now, like, can you explain those? those two things. Right. Yeah. So, so gender identity, again, that's knowing, inherent knowing of self. Whether we're a girl or a boy or somewhere in between, that's gender identity. And then there's sexuality. It's like who, who we who we love, same sex, you know, pansexual, bisexual. So sexuality usually formulates. I mean, for some of us, we knew super young. Some of us that ebbs and flows with our sexuality and our gender identity, but. A lot of times we don't know our sexuality until we're around puberty age. So those two things, gender identity and sexuality, are completely different. And so a lot of times people say our trans kids are too young because they're they're confusing it with sexuality, which gender identity and sexuality have nothing to do with one another. Right. So that's not part of the conversation at that age. Right. Exactly. And people confuse that all the time. And so and to your point, Miguel, people people will say you know, when did you know that your kid was trans? Or they'll say to Dylan, when did you know? And really the question t- should be, when did you learn to hide it? Because mm. we are in a, a, you know, very cisgender normative, heteronormative world. And so for a lot of times, uh, I'm, you know, again, like just being generalizing right here, but I mean, a lot of times our kids learn to hide it because society tells them to. Right, so, because at that point, it's like, it's like they're made to feel... Uh, wrong or different? Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when that conversation or the realization happens that you're like, wait a minute, I'm the one that's wrong here, what does that process of letting your child live their authentic life happen? So that it's, it's exactly that. It's a process. For us, we 
I enlisted the help of a therapist who had some specialization in gender conversations. And, you know, for us, a lot of parents of trans kids, we want to blame everything else for their sadness. Because for my son, it was just, he became really sad when he was around seven, eight years old. He was shy, he was sad, and he kept talking about well, I guess I'll be a boy just when I grow up because Mm. I kept saying, we'll talk about this when you get older. Mm -hmm. And so for him, he just was soaked in shame. And so when I saw that he was so sad and hurting, I enlisted the help of a therapist, but I needed the therapist guidance more than he did. And Mm. so after a couple months of unpacking how he was feeling with her, um, she called me into the office and she said, hey, we're going to try a thing. We're going to try new pronouns and a new name that he has chosen, and his name is Dylan. And I was so overwhelmed because when our kids come out officially, we feel, most parents anyway, like we are the only parents in the universe going through this. I mean, the conversation's broadening. We're having conversations like this right now. We're learning. We're seeing more representation, but it still feels like it's very lonely journey, especially where we are in Southwest Florida, which where I am at least is, is quite conservative. And so it it really was a process of this fear that I had to overcome for him. Like, oh my gosh, we see trans people being murdered, specifically trans women of color, extremely marginalized. Mm -hmm. So we have white privilege, Mm. but it's still very scary. Like we see the assaults, the bullying statistics, they're all heightened. The mental health issues are all heightened for trans kids. So that's the first thing that I had to overcome was just reconciling my fear. So that took a while. And and then it was just really a celebration of him because as soon as he was free to be himself with a simple name change and pronoun change, it was like a new kid. I had never met that child before. I had never seen that child before. In in, in the eight years of, of having him as my own flesh and blood, it was a crazy, beautiful experience. And it really has been the greatest gift of my life to have a trans kid. He's taught me everything. Mm-hmm. Was it hard at first to sort of, you know, I mean, I imagine as a parent that when your child is born, you create this vision in your head for them. Right. I think what you're looking Mm -hmm. to say is, did you have to mourn what Mm. you thought was going to Mm -hmm. be your life? Mm -hmm. So for me specifically, yep, it's a great question. And I get this question all the time for me specifically. No, I don't call it mourning. I understand why other parents do because a lot of other parents have a lot longer with the gender they thought their child was. But because my child had been verbal from such a young age and non-gender conforming from such a young age, this wasn't something that I mourned. What I did have to pack away to Miguel's points were kind of my visual and my hope and my dream of what we really think of having a girl like you know Mm. I I was looking at like like Holly I look at your at at your daughter and I look at pictures and like I envision like makeup shopping and unicorns and right (laughs) Right. you have a certain image Mm -hmm. yeah and I had to reconcile those images out of my mind and think differently like there's no white wedding dress here but there might not have been anyway you know right. and so mm. as as parents we have to get rid of our dreams that we build up so big in our minds and just say no this child is in charge of their destiny right. and like it's unfair to do that to any child and 
so no, for me, I didn't have to mourn, but I do respect when parents say that they're in a little bit of, of mourning because they have a different situation. I remember um, years after I came out to my mom, which obviously is different from, you know, um, becoming your true authentic self if you're trans. But my mom, when I finally came out to her and she told me years later that that night she cried herself to sleep Mm -hmm. because she had this thought in her head of what my life was going to be. Right. And she was just scared for me. And she was like, I don't want you to die alone. I don't want you to be uh, uh, accosted. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to have a difficult life because of who you are. And now she's like, I, you know, you have busted open my dreams for what you could have become. But in that moment when I was 17 or 16 and I told her that she was like, oh my gosh, what is your life going to look like? And it sounds so encouraging that you've been able to say, look at how much better it's going to be because my son is so adjusted and is getting to live in his truth. And I think to me, it just makes me emotional thinking about how there's so many. I have a good one of my best friends. He literally just came out to me as transgender. And so now we're going through the process of figuring out what does that look like for him which will become a her. Right. And see, here's the yeah. difference, too, because your best friend is like 40. Yeah. And yeah. here you have yeah. a complete, like a almost like a fresh slate mm-hmm. where you won't have to go through decades that you then have to unlearn. So it's really, I I feel like what you feel is that you, you're, you feel lucky almost that like you're able to have a child who can verbalize these things. Yes, totally. And, and honestly, the reason why... He wasn't, my son wasn't muted in the way, Miguel, that your friend was, is because we are elevating this conversation. There were other parents of trans kids. I'm a writer. I write amateur on amateur blogs and things like that. And I've had published pieces. And I wrote in 2015 a story about, I I think my kid might be trans and I'm terrified and here's why. Mm. And it was basically, Miguel, what you just said just about your mom. Like, I was afraid of those same things. Mm -hmm. What will this mean for my child? And you can't see past that sometimes as a parent. It's scary. The world is scary. And we want to shelter our kids no matter what. But these conversations that a lot of times involve violence in our mind because of things that we've seen and that history has taught us. Um, I, I wrote this, this long post about it, and another mom of a trans kid found it, and she reached out to me. Her name's Debbie Jackson. She's a, she's, um, her daughter, Avery, was on the cover of National Geographic on their Gender Revolution um, edition a few years ago. And so she reached out to me. She's like, hey, I saw this piece that you wrote, and, and here's how I'm going to help you. And I'm mm. like, okay. And I needed her in that moment. I needed to know that other parents of trans kids existed. And so otherwise, I don't know that I would be talking to you right now about this. I might have muted him, just like your friend has been muted her whole life. Mm. You know, so it's it really is a process of just making everyone feel comfortable with the exploration of how they're feeling and making it normalized, really. I think that's a lot of, I mean, the fear that you talk about, it, it's like uh, it's got several offshoots. So like you're scared to, you're scared for what the future could be for your child. You're scared of how the child will be perceived. You're scared of what it means for um, their safety. Then you're also scared in a way, and this is just me, I'm wondering if you felt this, if you're scared then to even bring it up 
that you're scared because what does that mean? So it's like, yeah, you uh, did right. you almost feel frozen because that's I feel like just off the bat, just, you know, going through this talk, I feel like I'd feel frozen because I'm like, I don't even know what I can express without making a wrong step. Correct. Yeah. And totally. I felt frozen for a long time and we lost friends. We lost family members Mm. after he came out, after it was public. And it's been a journey. And I was scared of all of that. It was very scary to have to think about all the people in my life that weren't going to agree with my child's existence. And, you know, I challenge parents now, like you, Holly, like anyone that has a kid, I challenge them. What would you do if your kid came to you and came out as trans? prepare yourself. You might have a trans kid. And I wish someone would have said that to me Mm. because I have learned so much from him about just allowing this to be a time of exploration. Now, because a lot of people think it's a phase or, you know, I mean, it would be a heck of a long phase for my kid. He's been talking about this since he was three, four, five years old and he's 11 now. So, but a lot of, sometimes it is a phase and we have to allow and so yeah, I was, I was totally frozen. I was frozen in so many ways, but I knew to save my child's life, I needed to make a move. And it's important to note that up towards 41% of trans youth attempt suicide before they're 18, mm. 41%, 51% for trans boys. Mm. So when we talk about that, when we think about that, I, I, I was so paralyzed with fear that he was going, I was going to lose him. Right. That that's the fear. I cannot afford my child to be soaked in shame. I need to make a move. Mm-hmm. And and it, it was a beautiful move. And I know that now. And I can say that two and a half years later. But right. yeah, two and a half years ago, I was totally frozen. So you said that you have lost family members over this. What mm-hmm. what did they say? So my, my mom's family, my mom and dad are, they... They went on their own journey as grandparents. It took them a little bit longer. They're, you know, we we blame we blame generational gaps, which everyone has the potential for learning. So they came a long way. But my mom's side of the family, uh, evangelical Christians, and it was not easy. But basically, you know, my mom's sister and 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 most of that side of my family basically said I was brainwashing my child. Mm. I made this happen. I want attention. Like all of the things that I hear as a public advocate from strangers as well, I was hearing from my own family members. And I took a hard line. I was like, either you're walking this journey with us and you're going to respect my child's existence or you're, or you're not with us. It Mm. was, it was one or the other. I do not buy into the, but you're my aunt, but you're my uncle. But you know, I don't buy into that ideology of, we have to accept this blood family. No, like I was totally willing to create a chosen family if my blood family couldn't walk with us. And they didn't, some of them didn't. And a couple of them did. Um, a couple of them are on the fringe and they respect his name and pronouns, but I, I know that there's some judgment there, but um, yeah, it's, it's been a journey and, and friendship. Yeah. Friendships were definitely challenged. And a lot of my friends didn't like the fact that I went public with our story. Mm. They didn't agree with it. They were worried for our safety, which I understand those concerns, but you know, okay, you don't have to be at the pride parade with us on the floats. Okay. That's fine. But respect the fact that visibility matters to these kids and we're saving someone's life by telling our story. So there was a couple of different, ideologies there with friends and family that kind of drifted away. But, 
hey, listen, we have the most beautiful chosen family in the world now, and we've met the most beautiful souls. So I'm thankful that the trash took itself out, to be honest. Amen to that. Mm. You can see mm-hmm. the dough. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah. And, 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 and it's been a journey, and I, I didn't always feel this way. I mean, because I thought these, some of these friendships especially were more solid than that, and I was mm. shocked by the people that saw my son grow up from a very young age, almost since birth, some of these friends were in my life and they saw this progression with my child. So I was shocked when some of them said, yeah, we're not going to stand by you with this. So wow. that hurt more than almost my family members, to be honest. Oh, I bet. Um, mm-hmm. how, how is your son now when it comes to school? I mean, uh, he's in middle school, right? Yeah, he's going into sixth grade. He is great. I mean, his friends, this is the key to this conversation, too, is that kids don't care. If you, you know, talk to a bunch of eight-year-olds and say, okay, well, you know, Dylan is now Dylan and using he, him pronouns instead of she, her, they get it. And they're like, okay, well, they might ask why, Mm -hmm. or they might, you know, be curious, but most of them were really super easy to say, okay, cool. and. His friends have been his champions. They've been his allies. A um, couple of little bullying instances, but his his allies showed up and stood up for him. And he's got a great group of friends. I don't worry about this kid at all. He's doing really well. He um, doesn't like the public speaking aspect of it on the advocacy side of things. So he allows me and gives me permission to have conversations like this, especially when it involves Miguel, because he's obsessed with you, Miguel. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, like he's, but he's, he's great. I mean, he's, he's living his life as a normal child. Being transgender is the least interesting thing about my child. So mm. he's great. I love that. I love hearing that so much. Um, I yeah. wanted, I wanted to ask you, I don't know how big or if at all you all are Harry Potter fans in your yeah. household. Are you? We are, and yes, I know where you're going with this. Yes, we are, and we are still Harry Potter fans. We can still be Harry Potter fans with strongly disliking who wrote Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you don't know, if you're listening, there, I've been trying to do as much research about this as possible. I didn't be- know we were going to talk about it today. Otherwise, I would have finished the blog post. Mm, well, I mean, you know what? I didn't. I didn't. You know what? It's not even worth reading. Oh. It's not what she said. So basically, J.K. Rowling, who wrote Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. this isn't a new thing. What I just have found out in doing some research last night, that she has made some comments in the past where to just very much paring it down, she believes that if you are um, a transgender woman, you're not a real woman Mm -hmm. because you don't know what it's like to be a woman from her point of view. Mm-hmm. And so she feels like you're basically a man in a wig. That's to mm-hmm. pare it down very basically mm-hmm. what she says. And so what happens is she wrote this really long, she sent out some tweets and then she wrote this really long post about right. it. I had the long post pulled up and mm-hmm. I'd only gotten like a third of the way into it. And so she tries to like use these like really just off the wall stats about, well, you know, transgender um, women have done this to people and they've done this and everyone's been like the people that you're quoting from you might as well call it like conservative I hate minorities.com like what are you talking about it just doesn't make any sense and so I've been wondering because we've had a couple of people in the Miguel and Holly fam 
who've said, why are you all still supporting the Harry Potter universe? Because, Holly, you went this weekend. Scott went this weekend. Scott got a wand, and you got some Harry Potter paraphernalia. I gladly wear my face mask as a Ravenclaw mask, you know? And so I was like, how do you – I was, like, reeling. Like, how do you – throw away you know for me since 2002 I've enjoyed in in it's been such a huge part of my life right you just throw it away like that because of what the author says so how have you approached that so here's the thing is we can still be attached to the Harry Potter characters and the story I mean for what what Dylan and I talked about, what my son and I talked about is basically, first of all, we've always framed it like Emma Watson wrote the thing anyway, because she's so phenomenal in the character of Hermione. So he kind of shifted that now we can still identify with the characters and the storyline and still very much love what JK created. And, you know, she, in the narrative she created, we can still love and celebrate the messaging there and dislike her and separate those two. It's hard. And I can understand for sure why a lot of the trans community completely abandon the whole Harry Potter line and they don't want to give to it anymore and and don't want to fund it. And I get it. I totally respect that. I'm in the middle with it that, you know, Dylan still loves the characters and he loves the messaging. And so many had to mourn the loss of J.K. Rowling because of that. But this is, again, you said it, this is nothing new. This is about a two-year-old conversation that she's been slowly coming out as a transphobe for a long time. So, yeah, I mean, I still believe that we can still hold on to the characters and, and love those characters and honor those characters without honoring J.K. Rowling. Mm. It's really interesting conversation, and I've been doing a lot of reading about it because I've been so conflicted, and it it, it just sucks when the people that you put so much stock into their minds and what they create, and they turn out to be just not great people, and it just really right. sucks because it tarnishes what you've put in your mind, your money, your soul into having it be a part of your life and your story. Because I feel like, you know, when you say Miguel Fuller, the things that come up are food, Harry Potter, and Oprah. And to know that one of those things is associated with something that isn't talking about equality and helping uh, people that feel marginalized and are marginalized, it just really sucks. And I've had a hard time sort of grappling with it this week um, so I was just really curious on how you were handling it in your household. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and it, it's been a tough conversation, and it's another part of the process, too. And honestly, the timing, too, of what she did, to me, confirms also that she's a racist, because, I mean, we are in the middle of a civil rights revolution, mm-hmm. and she decides to make this conversation. I mean, she, to my knowledge, didn't say anything about the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, two trans women, Black trans women were murdered within that time frame that she's coming out on Twitter spewing all this and doesn't take a moment to recognize what is going on around her. So for me, it it goes deeper than just the messaging of, you know, trans women aren't valid. And and she did say something about, you know, trans men with, with getting their menstrual cycles. And she, so she made it clear 
that she's so concerned about genitals and she's so concerned about how this somehow threatens her, which is just ridiculous. And mm. I'm thankful for Harry Potter himself. Daniel came forward at, in defense of trans rights. He wrote a beautiful thing on the Trevor Project website and Emma Watson wrote a beautiful thing on Twitter. Um, some of the other characters definitely all trans allies. So we can all hold space for them right. and hold space for the fact that they gave life to these characters and we can still hold space for the characters. And I, I think that's the beauty of art is we it's not linear. Mm. Right. So we you know, so we can we can still honor the art and not honor the artist in this case. And that's what we've done in this household. What can we do to be an ally to someone like Dylan who is going through this journey in life? Or like one of my best friends who just came out to me as transgender last week, how can we be better allies for them? That's a great question. So there's so many things, but I would say, Number one, you're doing it right here, right now, having these kinds of conversations. Definitely elevate trans voices. Um, seek out trans voices. Interview trans voices, specifically black trans women. Um, elevate their experiences, but also interrupt inappropriate conversation, you know, because a lot of times with the trans community, what I have already experienced with my son is they'll say a thing to me and be super like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I totally support and and I'm a trans ally, but then the minute we turn our backs, they're gossiping and saying, yeah, it's not a thing. And so, mm. you know, but interrupt those conversations when that inappropriate man in a dress type thinking, interrupt those conversations and take this knowledge that I'm giving you today and spread the goodness. Um, right now, the trans community just suffered a, a blow with the Trump administration taking away their health care protections through the Human Health Services Agency. And so, you know, have conversations with your health care providers just off the cuff, like, hey, doc, are you trans friendly here? I have some friends that might need health care. And if they're not, well, have, you know, do you know that there's training available? And, you know, have the conversations as a cisgender person on behalf of the trans community. Well, thank you so much for helping us understand a little bit more and to have a little bit of clarity on what it's like to be trans and then to also be raising a, a trans kid. Um, and I I hate, I remember I had a friend that uh, was dating someone who was trans and people said to him, you're so brave for doing that. And he was like, why am I brave? Like, this is just the person that I like. Right. So I don't want to say right. that you're, you're, you're brave, but I appreciate you speaking up because it could be easy or not easy, but it could be make your life probably a little bit easier to just handle it on your own and not be a, a spokesperson or to speak up on it. But the fact that you are helping to educate and hold people's hands, we appreciate that so much. Yeah, no, and I appreciate you having the conversations and just making sure, too, that, you know, in your household, if you do have children, make sure that your kids know that trans kids exist and that some kids are transgender, too. And that's important to normalize, you know, just the whole conversation. So I appreciate everything that you both are doing and listening and spreading the good info. 
Absolutely. Well, happy Pride to mm. you and to happy Dylan. Pride. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Sucks we won't see you this year at the, the parade and festival like normal, but we will do it bigger and better next year in 2021. Absolutely. Thank you both so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Talk to you later. Okay, bye. Uh, Holly, I saw you earlier. You got emotional if or it looked like you were getting emotional yeah. when she was talking about her experience with her kid. Right. Do you remember exactly what, why? Um, I think any talk about parenting gets me emotional lately. Look, I'm emotional now. Oh. Um, and it's just because as a parent, you just want to do the best that you can. Well, I mean, I would hope you would want to do the best that you can for your kid. Right. Why am I crying? <laughs> I don't I, like. I want to just speak, but I can't. Sometimes I get emotional. Um, you know, I know why I'm emotional. I know. I had to put it together. Um, it's not really appropriate to go into in the podcast. Suffice to say that Maya's father and I have some differences on what parenting looks like. So it's probably personal for me. But um. That's all right. It's a podcast. We got nothing but time. (laughs) True. Nothing but time. So you just hope that you are doing the right thing, which is what I try to do, you know, by (laughs) making sure. I mean, you have to start early and you have to start just little at a time. But like even conversations where and kids are kids. So like Maya will come home and be like. What was the the one thing? When she was younger, it was, like, all pink. You know, like, she loves pink. And then, like, one time we put her in something blue or whatever, and she's like, well, this is a boy color. And we had to spend, like, a long time letting her know that there aren't really boy colors and girl colors. And it's, mm. it's hard, even for a kid, like, when she was four and five, to explain what society was showing her. Because, I mean, TV shows... Mm. And, you know, just being in public. And I don't even know where it comes from. Toys. Right. Um, Just undoing those conversations. We still have those. And that's why it takes a long time. It's not like a quick thing where you're like, oh, hey, by the way, uh, pink's not just for girls, blue's not just for boys, trans kids exist. Mm. It's not like a one-time thing that you tell your kid and then they get it. Right. So, like, even as far back as, like, again, when she's, like, three, four... And we're saying, or I'm saying, you know, it's not just a boy color. And, like, now her favorite color is blue. Mm. And so she loves that. And she loves that she can now be like, well, there are no boy colors and girl colors. So, and mm. she likes to, you know, like. Get on her high horse she, about it. Oh God, she's a Leo, she, so I get it. Yeah, She's a high horse. Oh, yeah. So, like, once she gets something, she gets it. Just like the other day when I was telling a story and, like, for her and I said like something about the lady but I said this black lady and she was like um you didn't need to say that it was a black lady mom and I'm like wow <laughs> bitch just done me in she's like I see you mama what you doing right right so correct yourself it's like small incremental steps and it just really sucks when um you're not quite on the same page as a co-parent about these things. And now we obviously what was her name again? Vanessa. Vanessa. So obviously we didn't get into uh Vanessa's situation with like a partner or anything. Mm-hmm. Not my business, um not even relevant to this conversation, but in my mind I also thought, you know, I wonder what if if there was a situation or if there was a situation what that looked like because um, 
you know, not that, I, like, I, this is, it's tough. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Right. But one of the things recently that we had to have a conversation about, and I was just like, <sighs> like, it's just, it's like everything is always a thing. But this particular thing is, um, I don't care what my kid wears. I told her, as long as you're dressed appropriately. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you wear. Right. She wore um, a mermaid. Uh, it's like it goes with a bathing suit, but it's like a, a a little skirt that looks like a mermaid tail, but it's like bathing suit material. Mm. I let her wear it to church, whatever. <laughs> like, covered up. Who cares? So anyway, those type of things. Mm-hmm. But like where her father will be like, you know, and I don't see this because I'm not there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they'll go, they'll get ready to go to like a friend's house or like someone's house for a dinner party or something. And, you know, she's got whatever on. And he's like, put something else on. Comb your hair. You look homeless. Mm. And so she'll tell me that. And then I have to be like, now I have to not only be pro parenting and like teaching her what I consider to be, you know, open-mindedness and things like that. Mm -hmm. But now I have to go back and try to undo damage that that might have done to be like, hey, so, you know, not that we're going to talk about this in in that depth of psychology, but, like, when you're a teenager, it doesn't matter what the man you're with says. And if he tells you you look homeless, you just get a a different man who doesn't tell you that you look homeless. Mm. But in her head, she's going to think, well, my dad said that I look homeless when I'm not matchy-matchy. Right. Luckily, she's a very strong-willed, strong, opinionated kid to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I I was discussing this with my best friend, Erin, because she said that her daughter's father had, like, a similar thing that they went through. And I think, I don't even, I I honestly don't think it's from any sort of, like, um, malicious thing. I think it actually comes from, and maybe if you're listening to the podcast and you're in my shoes, too, and you have a co-parent or whatever— you could help me weigh in on this. He's. It's not like a malicious thing. It's more like as the dad, you don't get to see the kid as often maybe. And so when you're going out in order to put off the notion that, hey, I'm a good parent, I'm doing my job, and my kid looks well put together, and that is a reflection of my parenting. Right. So we had to talk about that. My, my friend Aaron and I. And I think that's probably pretty close to home, even if it's not a conscious thing. Oh, absolutely. It's like, I want to make sure that when I'm out, people look at my kid and think that I'm a good parent because she looks put together. I don't care if she has on rain boots, like, you know, um, Fourth of July headband, like, whatever. Right. Or, you know, and we dealt with this, she wears the same outfit multiple days in a row because mm. she's just, she gets on a kick. Mm-hmm. My biggest thing is, does it stink? Right. Because if it stinks, now we're going to have to wash it. Right. And then she'll put up a fight, and I'm like, smell these pants. <laughs> so it's like, that's my biggest concern. Is it clean? Right. If it's clean, I don't care what it is. But it's like, so you have to go back and undo that stuff mm-hmm. as you're trying to, you know, proactively do other stuff. So parenting is tough. Well, I, I do think, too, that, like you said, I don't think it's a malicious thing. It's not. It, that, it especially is, that isn't. Right. I just feel like you sometimes parent in the way that your parents parented. Correct. And I know that, like, my mom probably would go back and be like, well, I was trying to force you to do things and, like, wear certain things and act a certain way because that's how I thought that you should be. Correct. And so it's sort of like trying to help pull them along of, okay, think about all the stuff that you struggled with your parents about when you were a teen or in your 20s when they'd be like, well, don't do this and don't do that. And you'd be like, 
I don't understand why that's where you're trying to make a big deal about it because what does it have to do with anything else? And then as you are older, you're like, that really didn't make any sense. Like you were just doing it because their parents told them. Right. It's like this chain. And until you stop and like, again, and I think I posted this on my Instagram and it's kind of relevant here, but like generational trauma or generational dysfunction just keeps going until somebody recognizes it, acknowledges it and says, hold on. I'm going to stop this. Right. And that is a heavy task. Let me tell you, I'm I'm taking it on right now. It's very, very difficult. Not nearly as difficult as uh, what Vanessa was talking about, uh, like the whole awakening that she had to go through, um, because it's a lot. It's just a lot. And so when I put that in perspective of like me as a parent, of course it's emotional because all you want is the best for your kid. You, I I actively just don't want to screw my kid up. Right. And every parent is going to. We all have childhood issues, and that's just gives us something fun to talk about in therapy, I guess. Right. But, like, you want to try and do as little damage as possible while also giving them guidance. Mm. So I guess that's why it's emotional. You just want to make sure that you're doing the right thing for your daughter in her life. Right. And you always, I think as a parent, you always take it into your own perspective. Mm. So, like, when you're hearing, because, like, otherwise it's like you're childless if you don't bring it into your own perspective. Like for Miguel, so you can hear her story and it's amazing. And we heard the same story, but you can't identify with it in terms of having a child yourself. Right. So I can, so I just put it in in that filter of, you know, what if this was my child and what would I do and how would I have to go through the steps? And I think that's what helps anyone understand anything. So it's just, it's a lot to grapple with. No. Yeah. Well, that was I wanted to have that conversation. And she messaged me a while ago saying, you know, I want to sort of if you have time, I'd love to be able to talk on it. Um, And then I lost her information. And then she finally messaged me back. And I was like, yes, I I want to have you on. I tell you what, if it goes in the Instagram DMs, there's no way I can find it. Yeah. It's like a better search button. I don't know. I wish it were like email where you could just like go back. Like one day I was just scrolling, um, not looking. I was trying to find an older message. I think it was probably her message I was trying to find. Yeah. And then I somehow ended up from like five years ago messages and I was like Whoa. well this is interesting what was in my DMs five years wow. ago you know what I'm saying it's like I, I wish you could search just by word and not by person because I'm like I lost your shit Sorry. yeah it's fine um so I, I I'm not asking you to make we'll, we'll come back to this topic later on um because this wasn't the Harry Potter conversation wasn't going to be the focal point of this um but just sort of like the this is the beginning of that conversation because I feel like for me right now um, I'm dealing with the Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling and everything she said. And then also I haven't even begun to dive into CrossFit. That's another part of my life that's huge. Oh, and- yeah. I, I heard like this is what's hard. And I feel like I've sort of been failing this week because I haven't been responding to DMs. I haven't been diving into additional research on CrossFit, mm-hmm. on Harry Potter, mm-hmm. on more stuff about um, Black Lives Matter. Right. My friend Aaron has been sending me great links for podcasts and articles, and I'm like, I'm I'm bookmarking them. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, this week, I'm I can't. I'm like, I can't. Yeah, I mean, okay. listen. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you're like, I just. That's why when I had a couple people climb up in my DMs last week and be like, what do you think about J.K. Rowling? Uh, Are you going to continue supporting Harry Potter? And I was uh, like, I can't. I can't. Literally, I can't. I'm working on this project with corporate right now. <laughs> 
And I'm like, I am on my computer until about 4.30. Yeah. And literally, I can't read anything. I can't do anything. I can barely cook, let alone, like, start digging into some deep emotional things. And I'm like, this is going to take me a minute because our world right now is coming to... Uh, it, we are awakening right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We are awakening to, to me as a gay black person, things that like I've been like, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, look at this discrimination. But, then, but see, once it kind of like is on your doorstep, then you're like, okay. Right. Uh, everybody, hold, I, oh, Ow. can I wait a minute? What? But it, that's the thing. Like, I don't want to burn out either and right. get resentful. Right, right. I want to like be able to be a good advocate, be a good ally, and it doesn't help. And, you know, Aaron and I talk about this where we're like, when it devolves into just being emotional and angry, right. that's not helpful for anybody. No. Uh, and that's actually uh, a detraction from the cause. And right. so I think what I've needed to do, because um, I went to Universal this past weekend, and ever since then, like, I was like, I'm going to take the weekend off of responding back and forth on social media to people because, and even my person was like, you need to a break from being in the midst of it. I mean, if you think about the podcast that we did last week where I had to go and I went into and explained why white people don't experience racism. Mm -hmm. And after that, there was a lot. And I kind of got through those. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I'm just going to go to Universal and just (laughs) ride a couple rides. And then I was like, I'll jump back into it Monday. But then wait a minute. And I I couldn't. J.K. Rowling. And then J.K. Rowling. And I was like, but, uh. Uh, uh, and then, oh, by the way, three people in our building have coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, so let's not forget there's a pandemic going on. Yeah. And it's like my mom is just like, I, I just, I don't know what's wrong. I feel like something's wrong. I can't. And I've sort of been ignoring that. And the mm. more, of course, you ignore a problem. Mm, it gets yeah. bigger. It just keeps getting bigger. And so I feel like I'm going to have to deal with the issues with my mom sooner rather than later. Um, and so there's that. And so it's just, you know, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. No. And I think that's probably best. Oh, yeah. So I'm packing in for the long haul and I'm just giving myself some space. Scott, what are you doing? What are you reading? (laughs) What do you mean? What are your decisions? I'm trying to, I'm definitely allowing myself to have days where I dive in deep and I have days where I don't. Like yesterday I watched... The recent documentary on Netflix, it, I don't even know if it's recent, but it's Chelsea Handler's one on white privilege oh, yeah. where she dove into like dissecting white privilege from her standpoint of being white. Mm-hmm. And that was cool because it was like, holy moly, there's so much that I didn't even realize is on top of the privilege I already have. And so I take it in spurts of when I can, but I also like I'm very selective right now of when I decide to go into those conversations and it kind of like. Because it exhausts me. But now, even I was talking to roommate Dylan the other day, yesterday, and I was like, the one thing that I'm able to do with conversations now is now that I'm informing myself on the situation, I feel like I can bring something to the table. And I'm not just talking from emotion. I'm talking from things that are actually happening that I've learned. Mm -hmm. And so this is like the first time ever where I feel like I have a stance on something and I can support it. Mm. And so I don't want to obviously overwhelm myself with, one, getting in conversations with people. And also information. So I'm taking it when I feel that it's time to take it. Like yesterday, I was like, you know what? I I want to watch this and take in more. I'm also reading the book Becoming from Michelle Obama. And I'm taking that in spurts because I'm like, okay. Like, I just got done reading, coincidentally, Harry Potter. Mm. And so I just spent the past three months in a book. So I'm like, okay, let me take some little time away from reading. Mm-hmm. And I just do it when I can. I, ha- I pick my arguments and my discussions 
when I have the time and energy, but I'm not going to do it at the expense of my own will and my happiness. Right. Like, it's like, if it's there and I feel like I could, you know, handle the situation, or if the person's willing to listen. I think that's my biggest thing. Like, I don't even like confrontation to begin with. A couple podcasts ago, I told you, like, my body starts shutting down when I get, like, too wowed up. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, if I have a chance of proving a point and just at least having somebody grab something, okay. But if you slot up in my DMs and you're like, Blah, blah, blah. Like, and you don't show any sign that you want to learn, then I'm not going to waste my time with you. Mm. Like, not yet. Not when it's going to only affect me and you're just going to be there taking my energy. Mm. Get away from my energy. But I'll keep putting out everything I know and trying to learn as much as I can because obviously there's a lot. And the biggest thing that I'm seeing right now is, like, it's more so, like, my role is I need to start bringing these conversations up around my group of white people. Of, like, when something is said in a room and, you know, it's just you and a bunch of white folks. All right. Are you going to be be willing to say something? And luckily, I have been in situations recently when people have said something that it's not exactly the right thing to say. Now, being able to say something to correct them or teach them. That's what I'm finding my biggest role is right now. As a black person, what do people say? Or do I even want to know, it's just, you know what when black is? people aren't around? It just depends I'm- on the person. But, like, people don't full, they are not able to grasp the situation, whether it's— Do you think we're lying? Not even that you're—that, like, <laughs> black people are lying, but that, oh, it, is it as serious as it is? Or, again, they'll start focusing on the wrong thing where it's like, well, they shouldn't be rioting and protest or, like, in having all the violence. And it's like, then I have to correct the situation be like, well, did you dive in? To what actually happened in that riot. Like, who started the riot? Do you know that background of how these things start? Did you see the two white people set up the thing of bricks? Okay, then. Stop focusing on that because that's just taking your focus away from the bigger problem. Yes, we have to, you know, put all these things in their place. So, like, protesters are protesters. Mm-hmm. Rioters are rioters. Like, don't let that mess up the message because, trust me, back even now, there's plenty of situations where white folks go all crazy and will go, like, Burn something down. Don't act like it's just. Oh, that you group mean of like people. when their sports team wins? Well, no, not even that. It, 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 in Atlanta this past weekend, it was a white girl that started that's the Wendy's. That's what I'm yes. saying. And yes. I saw that, and like, I that's what that's been one of the biggest conversations. Is like, well, I just don't get why there's violence. And I'm like, you have to realize that you saying that is you're pointing the blame right at the black community when, in that situation, the Wendy's one, it was a white girl that. Lit up the thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's messing up your message. Focus on the bigger situation. That's what I've had conversations now with even, like, family and friends of, like, okay, yes, I know we're talking about police brutality, but what we need to understand, like, my, let's say, four white folks, we need to understand, like, slavery, although freed, quote-unquote, has been consistent to today. Like, it has never ended. There is right. things in the system right now that are giving us an advantage versus a complete race of people. And but we Scott, that. systemic racism doesn't exist. What do you mean? And that's when I tell them, I'm like, and that's, I put a post on my Facebook. I'm like, watch this, read this, do not make any comment toward me or talk to me until you do. And it's like, it's just those things where I'm learning, I'm pushing myself to learn. Hey, white folks, you have to push yourself to learn too because if you can't just say something doesn't exist if you don't dive in deeper to try to learn. But there's going to be people that don't want to take that step and don't want to learn. And for those people, yes, there's going to be conversations, but eventually, like, I'm not, I'm not going to waste my energy on you. I'm going to 
put it toward the person that just actually doesn't get it, they're going to watch, they're going to learn, they're going to become an advocate and hopefully continue to spread that message with the chain. I don't want to just sit here and argue with Bill who's, you know, it doesn't exist and he's not doing the research himself. Like, I'm going to tell you everything I know, but at the same time, if you really want to be a good human being, you'll look more into it and not just spit out stupid stuff from your fat mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. I think that's the most aggressive thing I've ever heard you say. I kind of love it. It's just been so interesting. Be aggressive. (laughs) I have, have, you know, found myself being able to put my foot down. Like I said, like, this is the first time I actually have, like, dove into something and pushed myself to learn. And Mm -hmm. I can't believe... How much I don't know. I just, I, it just blows my mind that even watching documentaries, reading, reading Michelle Obama's book and just how much, I, I guess it's just a thing. Like the complete black community all deal with just complete different situations than I've ever gone through. Well, and, and it's almost like it's not your fault totally because we were never taught And that's that. what I'm saying. It's no. like, like, it's not like anybody was given the same, um, write history when you go to school. Which is, I feel like why right now, like in the past two weeks, it's been so fascinating as a black person who um, has been sort of since I was in middle school and I was like, there's no primetime diversity on television. I was in the seventh grade and I was saying that, you know, like what the fuck. But like, I've been saying this for years and people are like, oh, I know that's right. That's so crazy. So moving on, and it's like, wait, no, no, no. Like, literally, why don't we teach about these black Americans that have done amazing things in our in our society? We don't teach about them. We trot out, you know, our the people that we all know, Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. They're in Bra- Black History like the Month. The only person I ever really remember, besides yeah. like the normal ones, like right. the ones that you always hear about, was Eli Whitney with the cotton gin. Right. That's it. I, that's about my extent to what we learned in right. elementary school. But you don't learn about all these other things that have added to our experience, and so that's why I feel like one of my friends, um, and I keep meaning to get him on the podcast. Um, he's a journalist in LA. His profile picture on Instagram is black and it just says, I'm tired. Mm. And at first when he said, when he put that to that a couple weeks ago, I was like, girl, that's crazy. It's true. But I'm like, legitimately, no, I'm tired. Like when you see people and I'm, I'm really have been debating about some people that I've seen in my life that I thought were understanding and wanting to hear about other experiences be like, well, I had to work hard for my life. There is no such thing. And then when you see that they're sharing stuff from eagleacrossthelake.net. <laughs> picks a fish. Right. You know, and you're like, seriously? Like, have you read Toni Morrison? Have you reached out? Listen to anything? Have you empathized? Have you truly listened to any black voice? Do you know a black person? <laughs> Outside of me. Outside of when you hear me do blown off, which is not really teaching you about the black experience. No. And like, yes, you can say that you love me, but do you love me enough to hear when I'm telling you something serious and it's not a fucking joke? Do you, you care then? Well, Miguel, that's a lot of effort. No, I just want to hear you be funny. Yeah. Well, time's up, bitch. It's no longer. It's not funny anymore. Sorry. I don't know why I just got aggressive, and I, I was like trying it. not to I be. Mean, I don't point. know. I ha- in five minutes, I got to go meet with my therapist. So. Oh, open just, up the can of worms some more, girl. I'm just keep on digging. 
Gonna be an emotional afternoon. Oh, platypus me. Uh, Holly, what's your social media? Oh. Radio Holly on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and <laughs> Holly on Hot 101.5 on Facebook. Scott? At Scott Tavlin, S-C-O-T-T-T-A-V-L-I-N on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Mm. Miguel Fuller, M-I-G-U-E-L-F-U-L-L-E-R on Instagram, TikTok, and all those wonderful apps like Snapchat. You can also listen to Miguel and Holly Uncensored on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Hot 101.5 app. You can also listen on iHeartRadio app. Just type in Miguel and Holly Uncensored. That's right. And if you listen on there, you can like toggle it and it'll send you a reminder when there's a new episode. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's really cool. They even send you an email too. Oh, Lord. I was like, wow, how did that happen? Alerts. I know, right? Also, send me an email if you want a Miguel and Holly pride sticker. I got some more. I got a few more left. So send me an email. And if you don't get one of the few we have left, then we'll send you a regular sticker as well. Or a a regular sticker. Miguel, M-I-G-U-E-L-F-U-L-L-E. Damn it. Miguel at Hot1015TampaBay.com. That's my email address. We tired. Yes, we are very tired. Girl, like my friend said, I'm tired. Catch up on previous episodes of Miguel and Holly Uncensored now on the Hot 101.5 app or on iTunes on your smartphone. It's Miguel and Holly Uncensored. Quarantine edition from Hot 101.5. Made hot by Corona Beer.